Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. A podcast looking back into the Jewish roots of our faith. For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. I'm Heather. And I'm Jonathan. And we are your co-hosts. This podcast is part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, it's Heather here. Welcome back to the show. I've got Matt and Ron on with me once again. And if you didn't listen to the previous episode, I would encourage you to do that. Got to hear Ron's story and how he came to faith in Jesus as a Messiah, as a young Jewish man. And uh, it kind of leads us into our conversation for today. And, and we heard from Matt and Ron uh, a little bit as to why they started uh, their ministry called The Jewish Road that's helping uh, Christians share the gospel with Jewish people by using the Old Testament. And so today we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at what is The Jewish Road and how do we share the gospel with a Jewish person uh, to help them see that Jesus is the Messiah. So Matt and Ron, welcome back uh, to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks you for bet. having us back. We have, we have lots of people that have us on the first time, but not too many will take <laughs> well, us back a second. So thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So what? So so then, yeah, let's hop in. What is what is the Jewish road? I, I meet a Jewish teenager on the street um, or at the YMCA, or maybe they show up at my youth group because they got invited by a friend because they think some girl's hot and they want to be there. Right. And, and, and they're there and they're hanging out. That's right. How do I share the gospel with them? Because it, as you pointed out in the previous episode, it looks quite different um, than it would be if I was sharing the gospel with somebody who's not Jewish. Yeah. Well, I was thinking we, we were just uh, in Cuba in January and uh, the, the Jewish population in Cuba is about 600 mm. people. Um, and we went around and we were training house church pastors uh, who were not Jewish. And we asked them the question. We said, uh, how many of you in here are Jewish? Nobody raised their hand. We said, how many of you know someone who's Jewish? And everybody okay. raised their hand. And we thought that was even very surprised even us, right? In, in Cuba. That was amazing. It was amazing. We thought like, wow, we're, we are truly, the diaspora mm-hmm. has really, <laughs> we've really been right? dispersed, right? And so, uh, but but the question becomes, how do we actually uh, reach them? And we asked the question to this group of pastors, uh, if, if you only could use the New Testament, could you share the gospel? Raise your hand. You know, everybody raises their hand. What if we said you could only use one book in the New Testament? Could you do it? Well, yeah, let's go with Romans, piece of cake. Let's say you only have one verse in the New Testament. Could you do it? And I think most people could, right? Like, we're just going to, I could default to John sure. 3, 16, and I got it. But if we said, share the gospel, but you cannot use the New Testament at all, you can't go to Act 2, what would you do? And that's where a lot of us, yeah. we start to freeze up. And, you know, at our best, we might hit Isaiah 53, but we need to understand how is it that a Jewish person thinks mm. To be able to lead them not down the Roman road, but down what we would call the Jewish road, and so that is that is what we we've basically created a a path, um, and we we didn't create it, but we've we've charted a path through this Act One um, because when we do talk to a Jewish person, they're going to say, "Share from my Bible," and they've broken up. Right? It's the mm-hmm. Tanakh. It's the Old mm-hmm. Testament. They want to know. Um, that God's plan of atonement or salvation exists and can be shown. That Jesus is the Messiah is actually there in the Old Testament. So um, there's a lot of different things, but we've really distilled it down to five basic uh, okay. pieces. Yeah. So, Dad, you want to hit number one? 
Well, you know, the first the first thing is is that uh, you know the Old Testament scriptures teach us that God is one, but they also teach us that He's more than one. And this was one of the things that I had to grapple with and deal with when I was first doing my investigation. You know, there's nothing like starting everything off with a lot of confusion. But uh, a lot of times there are Christians who will attempt to share the gospel with Jewish people, as Matt was saying, and they'll go down the Roman road, you know, and uh, Romans 3.23, you know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the, you know, glory of God. and. So while we we agree, you know, that all have sinned uh, and need to acknowledge a sin, knowing that uh, there is a Savior out there, uh, Romans is not the best sure. stop for Jewish people. And, you know, we have to first establish the existence of God or, you know, basically uh, the idea of a triune okay. God. And, uh, you know... One of the places where, you know, we, we can see this is in the Shema. This is the watchword of the Jewish faith, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Um, Jewish people say it twice every day. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, so, yeah, God is one. But one in the Hebrew there is echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai echad, one. Except echad is not an absolute singular one. It's a plural one. Uh, it's kind of a composite one, if you will. There's a plurality in it. If it was an absolute singular one, there's another word for it in Hebrew. That would be yahid. And so uh, is, is, that's the word that uh, Zechariah uses when it says, they will look unto him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, Yahid. So is that important so, to point out to uh, a Jewish person? Like, would they be caught up by, you know, Jesus being God that, you know, would it be important for us to help them understand what the Hebrew scriptures say, that it's not just saying that God is one singular, but that there's a plurality to that oneness? Is that important to point out? Well, it isn't important to them until you point it out. And it becomes an inconsistency with what they had always thought, but it's sitting there in their own okay. Hebrew. And, and, so, and really, a, a lot of times what they will say is that if you do believe in Jesus, now you're breaking another commandment that you can have no other gods mm. before you. Um, so to believe in God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to now add in Jesus as the Messiah, now we have a plurality of gods and we are breaking one of the Ten Commandments when in actuality it shows up right there in Deuteronomy 6.4 and even in the first three words of of the, the Old Testament, right? In the beginning, God, once right. again, it says right. it's Elohim. It's a plurality, right? Yeah. You say the first words in Genesis 1.1 are Bereshit bara Elohim, which is to say in the beginning, out of absolutely nothing, God. God is Elohim. Uh, the im, the I am at the end of the word in the trans transliteration, uh, makes it masculine and plural. And so, uh, this God, you know, who is one God is again, 
I mean, right off the bat in the first verse of the scriptures of the Tanakh, uh, of the Torah, uh, is presented as uh, more than one, um, you know, and and so we're, uh, you know, we're, we're looking now all of a sudden at a God who has a plurality to him. Nice. Okay. So that's the first point. That's the first one. The second one is that the Old Testament teaches that all have sinned. So my dad was just saying, uh, Romans 3.23, this is really where we start, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the question is, does the Old Testament ever say anything similar? I want to give you two passages. One is Psalm 14. Psalm 14 uh, is a psalm of David, and uh, David is kind of a Jewish king, right? He is in the line of line of uh, a lot of Jewish people. But it says this. This is uh, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there's any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have all become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Um, That sounds a lot like for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, And so David, he, the king of Israel, he pens these words, uh, but he's not the only king of Israel who says this. His son Solomon uh, is another Israelite king, and he chimes in, and in Ecclesiastes 7, it says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. It, again, sounds a lot like our Roman 3.23 and uh, what we really need to communicate is that we are all in need of salvation, and we need to know why. And so the Old Testament makes it clear that we fall short of the glory and the expectation that God has set forth in the law. Um, the next piece is, uh, the third one, is that there are, if we've established that that we have sin, we have, we have there's evil in our hearts, um, is that we need to make understanding that sin causes death and separation from God. Um, and so, you know, normally what we would go to is uh, Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death. Um, and you can even see really from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, their sin caused a separation. It brought death into the world. It banished them from the garden. Um, and so are there any other Old Testament passages that speak to the consequences mm. of sin? Uh, let me give you just one. Um, Isaiah 59, 2, it says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not Mm. hear. And it's interesting because there's many that are familiar with the Ten Commandments. They have an awareness. They've broken the expectations that God has set forth in Scripture. Um, But for the Jewish people, the, the law extends way past the Ten Commandments. Um, we, uh, within just the Torah alone, the first five books, there are 613 right. laws that Jews try to mm-hmm. observe, right? And the truth is that no one can possibly sure. keep them. Though our intentions might be good, uh, there has to be a remedy for the brokenness. If you ever see a Jewish person, they're wearing a talit, a prayer shawl, um, or they're wearing what we call seat seat. But if you look at the prayer shawl, Uh, If you count all those strings, the fringes that hang down, if you were to count them, it'll take you a while, but you'll get to the number 613. And it's a reminder for them. They wear this law. We got to keep the law. We got to keep the law. But when we realize that we sin, that we've fallen short of what God has asked us to do in his law, we've broken the law, and that causes death and separation, 
then we have to have a remedy. And that remedy is yeah. the fourth step. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that remedy is the fact that the Old Testament scriptures, the, the Tanakh, as we uh, call it, um, it, it teaches us that atonement only comes through the shedding of blood. And, uh, you know, when man sins, there needs to be a remedy that reconnects him to God. And what God has provided in the Torah, in, in the book of Leviticus even, uh, is an atonement that covers their sin. And so this, uh, this atonement is laid out in the book of Leviticus in chapter 17 and verse 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is by reason of the blood, uh, it, it, is, it is the blood by reason of the life that makes mm -hmm. atonement. Okay. And so uh, th this was the high priest in Israel would go into the Holy of Holies on one particular day, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, and he would offer a sacrifice by blood and that would cover their sins for one year. It wouldn't forgive their sins. It would just mm -hmm. cover them. And so most of the Jewish community uh, doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jewish people today, they, they have to have some way to reconcile this since there is no temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And so uh, for the last 2,000 years, they have a different, uh, you know, direction in terms of uh, dealing with their sin. And it's through works, basically, it's through prayer, keeping yeah. the laws, uh, mitzvot or good deeds. And, uh, you know, since the destruction of the temple, the sacrificial system uh, was destroyed, the rules were changed, and they had to come to a place where they would figure out, okay, now yeah. what do we do? And so, uh, you know, they, they came up with a system that was different, but, you know, you, you don't get to change the rules. Uh, and, and really, that, that took place after the temple's destroyed in 70 AD. Right. Uh, it was about 20 years later, and you have this pharisaical Jewish community that comes together. Uh, they come together in a town called Yavne in 90 AD, and they're saying, there is no temple, there's no sacrifice, what are we going to do? How do we get atonement? And we, we just kind of skip over everything that the Old Testament says. We, we, we skip over that we need atonement through blood. This is how we, we get it. And so that is really, that was the beginning and the establishment of uh, a shift from a, a biblical faith to a rabbinical okay. faith. And that's where we have to turn our people back because the rabbis have and hold more weight even than the scripture mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. Um, so there's one more point. Last point is well, is this. and one of the one of the greatest uh, things in the Old Testament scriptures is the fact that it teaches that the Messiah would suffer and he would die as an atonement for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. And this is a very difficult one for uh, for us as as Jews to you know, come to grips with, but it's in the scriptures. If we'll only read the scriptures and, uh, and study them because they teach that forgiveness does not come without atonement. And so we have to ask the question, well, where do we get our atonement from? Well, it comes through the sacrifice. It comes through the shedding of blood and the greatest chapter 
you know, as I said in our previous discussion, uh, one that uh, I had to really grapple with was uh, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Um, And I think that chapter has led so many Jewish people to the Lord and to Yeshua as Messiah. And it's right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. And the verse that is right smack dab in the middle of uh, Isaiah is verse 5. And Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So, uh, if Yeshua was the sacrifice for our sin, then what do we do about this? What do we do with this sacrifice on our behalf? You know, the scripture uh, teaches us to receive the Messiah now. Yeah, that's, you know? and go so, ahead. Yeah, well, uh, you know, in Isaiah also in, in chapter 55, we're, we're talking about scripture that is now prophetic toward the end of the age. And he says, come all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he mm. is near. And so, you know, today is the day if, if you're hearing this and it's pricking your heart and you need to to reconcile yourself yeah. with God, today yeah. is the day of yeah. salvation. That's great. Yeah. I I think that's so powerful, drawing people back to what's in the Hebrew scriptures of the importance of the sacrificial system. Although I imagine that's maybe a difficult thing for them to grasp because of the um, the shift that, that took place towards away from the sacrificial system, simply because the temple being destroyed. Uh, but if you can help them see that, that was needed to atone for sin, then helping them see that Jesus has done that is I'm sure very powerful for a, a Jewish person uh, when they're faced with the question of is Jesus, is Yeshua uh, the true Messiah? And, yeah. and you know what? The, I, the, there's probably two really quick things I would say are that we have really changed the face of Jesus over the last 2000 years to where he does not look recognizable to his own people. Um, and so we, we have made him in our own sure. American image. Uh, we have a friend uh, in, in England. He, he tells this story of uh, a church in the sixth century and they have this picture of Jesus and they start actually stripping away the layers over the last 1500 years. Wow. Uh, and they see how the face of Jesus is actually morphed. And, you know, we, we don't need to recontextualize Jesus. We need yes. to restore the Jewishness yes, of who absolutely. he is. And so if we can start to pull some of these layers. So that's number one is to make sure that it's understood that Jesus is a Jew and and he lived as a Jew. He died as a Jew. But the other thing is that for our Jewish people, um, that they have to understand that they, in, in order to receive and to believe in this Jewish Messiah, they don't have to stop that's being right. Jewish. Um, and we're yeah. very quick in the church to say, well, and, and the question that we get a lot of times is, so when did you convert? And we have to be really careful about that to not try to convert the Jewish people and pull them from one team into the other. All right, great. Now you're going to take off that jersey and you're going to wear a different jersey um, to maintain their Jewishness. Like you can still celebrate the holidays. In fact, we think that you should uh, to do the Sabbath and to be Jewish. Um, but we are 
believing in our Messiah that we've always waited for, he's actually also come and we're still waiting for him to come again. So that's, I think, incredibly important. Yeah, and, and we see something of the heart of Yeshua himself when he comes into Jerusalem at that last time, and he just weeps over the city and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often will I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And he says, your house is left to you desolate. And he says, you, I will not come back again until you say, Baruch haba b'sham Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so... This is the heart of God. He wants his people to recognize him for who he is, the Messiah, who came to redeem them. And they will one day. Right. But we should get a few of them along the way before they have to go through that tribulation. So true. Mm -hmm. And, And how important it is, again, as you have pointed out, to help people understand the Jewishness of Jesus, because it really does change everything. And it helps us get back to understanding more of act one as a Christian and um, therefore being able to reach the Jewish people. And, um, you know, as I think you pointed out in the first episode that 2%, did you say 2% of Jewish people are are believers in? Yeah. And that might even be generous. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably. And and we think about, we need to be missionaries to these other countries and all this kind of thing. And why not be missionaries to the very people from whom, you know, our, our Messiah came from. And, um, I think, uh, again, what you guys are doing is such great work, uh, because it's restoring the face of Jesus for not just for Jews, but for Christians too, because on my own personal journey of getting to know the Jewishness of Jesus, it has illuminated my faith in ways that make it go, Oh, now that makes sense. Or, Oh, wow look at how amazing God is, or, oh my goodness, why didn't I learn this before now? Because, it, again, the, the church and the, the, the Jewishness of Jesus kind of went separate ways for a long time because, for whatever reason, both sides um, felt a, an aversion to one another. And now we're, I feel as though uh, the Christian faith community is slowly starting to re-embrace those roots and to see the beauty that is within them. So you guys, thank you again for joining us on the show. Uh, Thanks for helping us uh, learn how we can share the gospel with uh, a Jewish person. And I'll be sure to uh, put in the show notes uh, a link so people can connect with you and a link to your uh, Jewish Road um, scriptures as well so that people can have those on hand, memorize them, and be ready to share the good news of Jesus with uh, Jewish people so we can help them see that Jesus is the real Messiah. So Matt, Ron, thanks again for joining us for the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. Friends, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Shalom. Shalom.